starting a series today that's actually going to be three sermons. Next week we have a guest with us, Mark Perky will be here, and uh, he will not continue this series, and I'll pick it up in a couple of weeks. And I want to talk about what the Bible says about money, and today I want to talk a little bit about what the Bible says about acquiring wealth. Now, let me tell you this, there are, are many, many, many references to money in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's approximately 2,350 references to money in the Bible. That's more than all of the references to heaven and hell combined. It's more than faith and prayer. It's a big topic in the Bible. Now, if you're new here today and it's your first time, you're probably thinking, great, my first time at this church and he's going to preach about money for three weeks. So why am I going to preach about money for three weeks? Number one, because the Bible talks about money a whole lot, so I can't ignore it. Now, we normally teach about money at every offering time, or we try to, to give some insight about money. But number two, I think it's very important you understand this. The way that you handle money and relate to money is an indicator of where your heart is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So how you spend your money, how you manage your money, all of those things are a reflection of your spirituality. Now, as you well know if you've attended here for long, there's a couple of commitments I make. Number one, I'm never going to pressure you to give, and I'll do my best to make sure nobody else does. And number two, I'll never apologize for giving the, the opportunity to invest as God speaks to your heart. I don't think that offerings should ever be this heavy-handed, compulsory, you know, twist your arm behind your back and you're going to give or we're going to, you know, we're going to get you. The Bible says that giving should be done joyfully. What moves us to that position? Recognizing what God has done for us. Recognizing that every blessing that we have comes from his hand. So I'm going to read a lot of Bible verses today. I had probably 50 more I could have put in. I'll make very few comments today, but it's a lot of God's Word and gives us insight. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9 says this, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never tell a lie. How many of you believe that's a good thing to ask God for? Help me to be truthful. Second... Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Now, how many of you know that my just enough and your just enough may not be the same? We all tend to look at that a little differently. But the writer of this proverb says, give me just enough. And here's why he says so. If I, go, if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? In other words, who do I need to help me? I have everything I need. By the way, that attitude is found in Revelation chapter 3 of the church of Laodicea. We are rich and in need of nothing. And God says to them, you have nothing. Are you kidding? You need everything. He says, give me just enough so that I don't become rich and think I don't need God. Or if I'm too poor, I may still, and, and by doing so, insult God's holy name. God put me in a place where I'm right where I need to be. That's a good way to pray, however you want to do it. Second verse in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, and really you could read all of the passage of, of 1 Timothy 6 to get this, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation. 
listen to me, that's not, there's not an if in there. That is a statement of reality from God's word. People who long to be rich fall into temptation. The, the word fall is interesting. Anybody ever fallen lately, tripped and fallen? On our trip to Israel, uh, Red Primo tripped and fell one day. Chris, you were, I don't think, I don't remember, you, you did fall one day too. So we had people fall. Falling is simply this. It's not something you plan to do. It's not like you say, hey, four more steps and then I'm going down. It kind of, now, now, I was by Chris when he fell. I couldn't think of that until, as I said, ask you the question. I remember being right there. And he fell. It was the craziest thing because life really went slow motion for him and for me, too. And he's kind of like, oh. And it was kind of this thing. And, I, and he was right in front of me, and it was like, I don't remember his rock or kind of, his hard surface, though. And I tried to just get under him as much as I could, and I just got my foot under him, basically. So he didn't land on the hard concrete. And there were other guys came around and helped him up. But nobody plans to fall unless you're a comedian and it's part of your stick. Nobody plans to fall. How does falling happen? Falling happens because either one of the several things. One, you're really not watching where you're going close enough. Two, maybe there's a weakness in your body that, that you're, you're not taking account for. And something happens. It happens though we've all fallen at one time or another. And somebody made a whole commercial out of it and made lots of money. Help, I've fallen. Yeah, that's so old and y'all still know it. Um, we fall in a temptation. It's not like it's a strategy. It's not like it's something that we, we deliberated about. It's because we have the wrong approach to life, we're prone to fall in a temptation. Listen to what it goes on to say here. They are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. How many of you believe the word of God is completely true? Say amen then you need to hear this warning. If you have a longing, a craving for money, that's a word that will come up in just a moment, it will lead you into a bad place every time. You'll never be thankful. You'll never be appreciative. You'll always want more. You can't enjoy life when you're longing for more. Now, now I'll, well, let me go. I'll get to some other stuff, and they'll kind of balance it out for you. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Jesus, in Luke chapter 16, gives this word. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is giving sound advice, calling people to serve God, and the people who are supposed to be the religious, spiritual people of that day are so entrapped by their love for money that when Jesus gives them wisdom, what do they do? They laugh. They scorn. They ridicule him. This isn't real deeply theological, but it's a good point for you to understand. Anytime you're ridiculing Jesus, you're in the wrong spot. Anytime you're mocking him, 
Anytime you're laughing at what his word says, you're in the wrong place. Why were they in the wrong place? Because their heart was in the wrong place. Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. You know, I just in, in my lifetime, thinking back, looking back, and things have changed so much, and, and you know, we could have did, done a little presentation of what things would cost back whenever and all that kind of stuff, but just going to salaries and going to things around, I remember a teenager, maybe, maybe just out of teen years even, the first time that a baseball player got a $1 million a year contract, and it was like a big, big big thing. Now you get that if you're like, you know, third string, third baseman. And it's just amazing. And to hear some of these guys who are giving, and I, I get it, I get it. They need to do what's right and what's best and whatever. It's just kind of hard for me to comprehend when they're debating between, do I play for this team for, for 125 million for three years? Or do I go to this one for 130 million for three years? And I'm going, hey, for $4 million. I will load the bus for every game. I will sweep off home plate. I will mow the grass. I mean, you just tell me what needs to be done, and I'll take care of I'll hire some people because I'm not dumb. I got $4 million, so hey, I can do that. But they're debating, and they're saying, I'm worth more than that. Now, 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 I understand it's always easy to look at somebody else that's not where you are. And I'm, I'm not trying to poke fun. I'm not trying to, the, hey, if they can make it, good for them. And if they're a believer, even better. And if they're using their money to share the gospel around the world, incredibly awesome. But it's just amazing to me that people feel like they need more. If you love money, you'll never have enough. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. I told you this already, there's about 2,350 verses in the Bible that reference money. And the greatest need we have regarding money is to have wisdom. God give us wisdom. By the way, isn't that what Solomon got rewarded for when he was presented with pretty much this blank check from God Tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you. And rather than saying riches, rather than fame, he said, I want wisdom. And God said, because you ask for wisdom, guess what? You hit the secret bonus word of the day. You win it all. Because wisdom, and we'll look at a verse in a minute that tells us this, wisdom gives you riches. Wisdom puts you in a position to have influence. Wisdom is the thing that we all need. The whole book of Proverbs leads us to understand what wisdom is and how to achieve it. Jesus said, be on your guard. We've got to have wisdom. There's nothing inherently evil or good regarding money. Let me put that out there real quick. And let, me, let me touch on that for a second. It's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily good if you're poor or if you're wealthy. That's not really the issue. And by the way, what is wealthy anyway? It is very much a moving target. If any of us were to move to a third world country with the amenities that we have in life and we had the ability to take those amenities with us to that third world country, we would be considered kings and queens in this room. Hopefully that just boosted your ego just a tad right there. 
And then when we compare ourselves against the wealth of the, the rich and the famous, we may feel like, I don't even have two nickels to rub together. Look at all that they have. So when we're doing a comparative, we're always going to be in trouble. I think it's very right for us to say, God, give me the things that I need in life and help me to be grateful. Guide my steps. And I believe that he will do that. And I think that any time we compare with other people or any time that we develop a heart of ingratitude, we are in sin. Be grateful. Be grateful. Pastor Russell saying about it, it's so true. Be grateful. That is the key to experiencing enjoyment in life. Money can be a blessing or a burden in your life. Probably all of us are aware of the, the story that came out in the last week or so from Hobby Lobby that, that uh, the owner is going to save his family from the burden of wealth. And some of you are thinking, wait, what? My, uh, my dad's first cousin was J.B. Hunt, the trucking guy from over in North East Arkansas. He started out with the pickup truck and then grew to a little flatbed and some other stuff like that. Didn't have anything. And, and uh, b- before he died, before he passed away, he had, last time I talked to him, he had over 13,000 semi-trucks going up and down the road. He had, he had uh, trailers that were on trains going all across the nation and all these things going on. When my dad passed away, he flew to uh, the funeral and the private company jet. I picked him up at the airport, and he was telling me about just the business and how things had happened and, and all that was going on there. And I found out in talking to him that he or his company, one or both, every day were bombarded by requests for finances from every project in the world you can imagine. One good thing about being poor, nobody asks you for money. (laughs) Ecclesiastes gives us this understanding of wealth. The more we have, the more it accumulates worry and anxiety in our life. One of my favorite stories, I'll try to say this as quick as I can, but it's one of my favorite illustrations about enjoying life. It's a story of a... Uh, it, it's not a true story, I don't think it could be, but it's just a made-up story to give illustration. There's a story, though, of a man that was a little fisherman, and he had a great job catching fish, was doing a good job providing for his family. They were comfortable. They were enjoying life, and uh, a businessman noticed that this guy every day had like a full, full catch of fish every day, and, and he came up to him, and he said, you know, if you would if you would uh, embrace technology, let me finance you and get you the things you need, the equipment you need. He says, you could not only have one boat, but you could have two boats, and you could hire people to work for you. And before long, you'd have five boats. And before, and within a few years, you'd probably have 10 boats the way that you fish and the way that you manage. And uh, he kept going through this list, and the guy kept saying, and then what? And he says, well, then you'd have 20 boats. And then, well, and then what? Well, then you'd have 50 boats. And he kept going through this whole thing. He says, and then what? And he says, well, and then... He would be, you would be probably somewhere in your 60s or 70s, late 60s, early 70s maybe. And he said, and you could retire and enjoy life. And the guy said, well, right now I have one boat. I go out and fish when I want to. I provide for my family. I enjoy life right now. Why would I want to do all that other stuff? 
I'm not condoning laziness, but I'm also speaking a little bit against a mindset that causes you to waste life and opportunities pursuing things that are very temporary. Money is temporary. It has value, obviously. It can be used for good. There's nothing that's inherently evil or good about it, but it can be a blessing, but it also can be a burden. Let me go through three things with you this morning real quick, super fast. Number one, as it relates to acquiring money, ask God for wisdom, strength, and opportunity. The wisdom of God brings full provision to life. Proverbs 3, 13, look at it with me there. It's in your notes. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. More precious than rubies, nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tight. Ask God for wisdom. James gives us this word of instruction. If any person lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it without any kind of restriction and in abundance. I've told you all this before, but when I was younger, I thought I asked God for wisdom when I was 21, and I was good. God, I need wisdom. I'm 21. I need wisdom. Thank you, God. Now I have it. Now that I'm 61, I ask God for wisdom about every 20 minutes. Lord, I'm not real sure about this next step. Can you help me? Can you keep me on the right path? Can you help me think clear? Can you get all of the things that would be destructive and deceptive out of my way so that I do the right thing? See, we ask God for wisdom, and he gives it without partiality, and he gives it abundantly for all who will ask. Ask God for wisdom as it relates to your finances. Second thing I see here is ask God for strength to succeed in the journey of life. I don't think this verse is in your notes. You might just want to write it in there. Deuteronomy 8, 18. But remember the Lord your God. This is the word of the people of Israel as they're beginning to prepare to enter the promised land. Remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. I believe that God will give you wisdom and he will give you strength and understanding and he will give you ability to produce wealth as you lean on him. But don't be comparative and say, well, I wish I had what they had. How many of you know you don't know what they have? We look at the highlights. We look at the, the, the good points and go, that's what I want. But the reality is we, you got to look at the whole picture. Do you know that God put you exactly where he put you because you're the one that needs to be there? Don't compare it with other people, but say, Lord, give me the strength that I need. Give me the abilities that I need. Help me, Lord. The third thing there is ask God to give you direction and to give you opportunity. God directs the steps of his children, and he leads them in the right path. I believe that with all my heart. 
Now, now, now let, me be, let me help you out here. I don't know that I'll always think it's the right path for me. I may be saying, God, I think you're doing something a little wrong and you need to get me back on the right path. Now, this is also dependent upon us walking in submission to him and his lordship, but he will get us to the right place. Ask God to help you and he will get you there. Second thing, probably the most important of the three is simply this, earn money with integrity. Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. God's plan for all of us having money is that we earn it, that we do something to receive it, and that we, we, uh, we take the right approach in what we're doing. So there's three or four things we'll talk about with regard to this. Five things, I guess, with earning with integrity. Number one, do not abuse the poor. Don't get wealthy off someone else's loss. Um, so one of the big, big stories in our nation right now is Powerball. How many of you knew that? Yeah. They are saying it may be over $2 billion uh, by the time it it's won by somebody. Let me help you out with this. Any form of gambling, whatever it is, I'm telling you straight up, any form of gambling is truly a tax on people who are bad at math. When you think, ha, I'm going to be the winner. You don't understand statistics. And if that's your goal, the best way for you, if you're a gambler, the best way to double your money is fold it and put it back in your pocket. Some people will say, well, I just do it for recreation. Really a bad choice. Because it's based in longing for more money. You remember the verse about that? The people who long for money fall into temptation. I, you may find an example out there that wouldn't fit in this category. They would be incredibly rare. There's probably not one in 10,000, probably not one in a million. And I'll take odds on that. Um, no. <laughs> I need a drummer. <laughs> There's probably not one in a million that goes to a casino thinking, I'm going to lose all the money in my pocket, max out my credit cards, and give them the title of my car today. You go in thinking, ah, I've got a limit, and it's X number of dollars. Now, you may be different than me. I know myself well enough to know this. If my limit's 50 bucks, when I get to 50, mm, there's just something inside me that says, I just need to get a little bit of it back one more time. Then I lose that $5. Then I'm like, I'm going to double down. Then I lose that $10. And before long, I'm going, is there a, is there a machine around here? where I can use my credit card and get some cash because I'm down $500. I'm not saying that happens to everybody. 
But I'm saying this, it's not worth the risk. And God's plan for you in acquiring wealth is not through gambling, it's through hard work. And by the way, even if you win all the money, it's simple math. There's a ton of people who lost money for you to win what you win. I can tell you this, you've all heard it, and you may not understand it completely. If you don't, then you're really, really bad at math. The house always wins. There's never been any opportunity for gambling money that wasn't calculated by the people that were hosting it to make sure they came out on top. Can I just help you out? Casinos are not benevolent organizations. And they're struggling along with their little flimsy buildings, right? Because they're just, we're going to need, they need to take up an offering so somebody can help them pay the electric bill next month. No. What's the real deal? They're the ones making money and they're abusing the poor in the process. I wish as a nation, it probably will never happen, but I wish we would repeal all forms of of authorized gambling in our nation and get rid of it because it puts people in a place of peril. It puts them in a continual place of being abused, and it is so wrong. Proverbs twenty two sixteen says, One who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth will come to poverty. Do not take advantage of someone in need. Don't charge more simply because their need is greater. Third thing, offer a fair value for a fair price. So this is just me talking about me real quick right now, and I'm going to get you through this real fast. But when I was a youth pastor, I hated all of the fundraising schemes that were out there, getting people to give you money to do something stupid. You know, I, I, I can go along with, let's have a car wash and wash somebody's car, but you need to know what you're doing, by the way, if you're going to do that. When I see, like, the car washes around for little groups doing it, some youth group somewhere, you know, some school group or so whatever, quite frequently, I'll give them, like, 10 or 20 bucks or whatever, and they'll go, do you want your car washed? I'm like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> I think it's rocks in that water. I'm not, I, no, I'm good. I'm, here's just some money, but I'm good. I don't need that. Thank you very much. But I always, I'm just being real blunt now, I, I always got kind of amused at things like rockathons. Will you pay me to rock in a rocking chair? No. I'll pay you to go mow grass. I'll pay you to go do some work, but rock in a rocking chair? Who came up with that idea? That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. By the way, I have participated in them. That's probably why I feel so strong. Offer a fair value for a fair price, and you'll do well in life. Work hard. Proverbs 10, 4 says, lazy people are soon poor. Hard work gets rich. Hard workers get rich. Give a full day's worth for a full day's wages. That's both for the employee and the employer. There's, there's this cool paragraph. I don't have time to go to it, but Luke chapter 3. It's John the Baptist talking. He's baptizing people, and he starts out. It's so crazy to me. John the Baptist starts out talking to these people who have come to see him. They want to be baptized by him. And his opening comment to them is, you brood of vipers. I'm like, wow, that's how to run a crowd off real quick. He doesn't start off with, it's so good to see you here today, you brood of vipers. He just simply goes, you brood of vipers. And they're like, oh, man, what do we need to do? 
If we're a brood of vipers, we don't be that. What do we need to do? And so here's the passage right here. Here's what comes behind it. The crowd asked him, what shall we do? John said, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. It's funny, when they're asking what to do, everything John tells them has to do with money. Isn't that interesting? It is to me. It's just kind of amazing. Number three, develop the right attitude toward, toward wealth. I've got more things to say, but i got two more weeks coming, so I'm going to save them for there. Let me finish this up, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Develop the right attitude toward wealth. Number one, be grateful for what you have. Learn to say thank you to God. Learn to say thank you to the person you work for. Instead of trying to cheat them, how about trying to add blessing and bonus to what they're doing? If you're an employer, say thank you to the people who work for you. Be humble for God's blessings. Realize it's all from his hand. You know, you think that you created it. You think that you earned it. You think it's your wisdom, your skill, your ability. Can I tell you, if you were born in some third world country somewhere, you would have never even had that option. It is God's blessing on your life, and you need to walk in humility. Be generous with your blessings. You know, I, one of the... One of the things that I think probably gives me as much joy in life as anything is just blessing people. And I love when missionaries call us here at the church on a personal level when I'm doing something out and about and I'm able to give some money to help with whatever. You know, I, I told you before I was a youth pastor for six years and district youth director for seven. And this back in the era when we had fundraising things all the time. I'm like the softest touch for people selling stuff. Like, some here in in church a few weeks ago, somebody came up and they had their candy bar box. And they go, would you like to buy some candy? And I said, hang on a second. I pulled out my wallet. So don't all you do this to me now, okay? Because I know you're scamming and it will not not work. (laughs) This was legit and sincere. And and whoever the young person was, I don't remember who it was now even, but they had 12 or 15 candy bars in there. So how much are they? The dollar a piece. I go, here's a 20. Go give them away. And they're like, What? I don't want any of them, but here's your money. Go give them away. Wow. Can I just tell you, that was kind of a fun moment for me. See, I've never seen a happy miser. I've never seen a happy hoarder. That'd be a great TV show, wouldn't it? (laughs) The happy hoarders. How many of you have ever watched a show like The Hoarders? Anybody? None of them are happy. I, don't, I can't even watch it because it depresses me so bad. It's just awful. It's like the worst thing. I mean, it's, 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 it's awful. I don't even like watching it. It's just horrible. The happy hoarders does not exist. Joy and generosity go together. You want more joy? Learn to be generous. And generosity is not about the amount. It's not that you gave somebody $10 million. It's not about you even gave them $1,000. It's just you did something to let them know that you want to be a part of what's going on. Be generous. Be responsible to manage it well. I want to talk about more about that later. Next, next two weeks we'll do there. Number five, use money and love people. Never get that mixed up. Make sure you don't love money and use people. But use money and love people. First Timothy 6, 
We read from the earlier part a while ago. Here's the back part of this chapter. Teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud, not to trust in money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so they can experience true life. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up treasure on earth where moth eats, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And then a question from Jesus that puts it all back in summary. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? God's not against money. There are a lot of wealthy people in the Bible a lot of poor people in the Bible. And it's not even really a fact of consideration from God's perspective. It's not how much you have. It's what do you do with what you have. My goal in this series is never to put you under bondage, to bring you to a place of freedom. But I want you to understand that freedom financially comes as you let the, the grip that money has on you dissolve. And you tighten your grip on God. You say money is something God gives me to provide for my family, to provide for my needs, to enjoy in life. It's also something he gives me to bless others with. And I want to do the best job I can of taking what God's given me and handling it well. By the way, if you need more help in this whole area, I've got two more sermons coming up. But there's going to be a class that starts in January on Wednesday nights, the Dave Ramsey class, Financial Peace. If you've not done that. That'd be a great thing for you to do in January. But you know what God wants more than your money? He wants you. He wants you. And here's what I've discovered. When God gets me, it includes my wallet. It includes, if he's got me, he's got me. Everything I own, everything I have, Every relationship, every talent, every gift, anything I've got, when God gets me, he gets all of that. Question this morning is, does God have you? Have you given yourself to him completely? Is there an area that you're kind of holding back and you're saying, okay, God, you got it all except? Or are you saying today, God, I give you everything. Give you my heart. Give you my soul. I live for you alone.